welcome to The Gateway Presents. I'm Cody Bonderchuk. And I'm Annette Dillon. So for this week's program, we'll be talking about race and racism in Canada. I originally got the idea from an English class on Canadian literature and identity and from an assigned reading for the class that will serve as our jumping off point for the discussion. Thanks for being here to talk with me, Manette. You're welcome. So right before we dive in, I wanted to disclose that I am not black. I am also not black. And that's important to note because we're talking about anti-black racism in Canada. As a white man, I can only speak so much on this, and I hope to frame this discussion as much as I can through the eyes of black people in Canada and the experiences that they've faced. So why are we doing this podcast at all then? Wouldn't it be better for two black people to talk about anti-black racism? You're absolutely right. Um, I have to admit I'm only somewhat comfortable speaking about uh, about this topic because of the quotes and stories in front of us from black people who have experienced anti-black racism in Canada. So we're not experts on the topic, but we hope to tie together the perceptions and experiences of marginalized groups related to the theme of anti-black racism in Canada. So a big question I think we both know the answer to, does Canada have a racism problem? Yes, I would say it absolutely does. We hear politicians and community leaders, usually white, celebrate the diversity and acceptance of this country, but by doing that, they turn a blind eye to the realities of being a racial minority or a person of color in Canada. Even in our own city. In a CBC article this September, Mayor Don Iveson said that Edmonton is not a racist city and Canada is not a racist country. But the journal also interviewed Rakash Walters with Black Lives Matter Edmonton, who disagreed. Yeah, she said she knows of many examples from people who have experienced systemic as well as just incidental racism. Huh, interesting. So what constitutes just incidental racism? And is it just incidental? I think she's referring to the difference between structural racism and microaggressions. Structural racism stems from our institutions and the preponderance of minorities that are unemployed, incarcerated, and otherwise occupy the lowest spots within it. Incidental racism would be the slurs and the assault that individuals use to attack minorities. So both are bad, and most minorities have experienced both, but they come from two different places. Do they, though? Couldn't you argue that people see the racism that our institutions perform and think that it's okay to do that themselves? It's a good point, actually, and the pushback that the public gives when institutions try to recognize it and change. Last year, RCMP Commissioner Bob Paulson said that there are racists in the RCMP and that he would like to remove them from duty. The Globe and Mail reported that he got a lot of criticism from a representative from the RCMP Officers Union, who accused Paulson's comment as being rife with sweeping generalizations and puts officers in harm's way. That's so frustrating. He was obviously only talking about a handful of officers. Yeah, and it's hard to have a conversation with those type of people that think in such absolutist terms. Paulson said that there were some racists in the force, and immediately all the white people jumped up to claim that they weren't the racist ones themselves. He wasn't painting everybody with the same brush as the representative claimed. And that's kind of the main point of this discussion. Black Canadians feel disproportionately targeted by police and are labeled criminally because of their race. Stats Canada 2011 data shows that 2.9% of Canadians self-identified as black, so that's just under 1 million people that experience this. How do we know they're being unfairly targeted? Where are the stats for that? That's the issue. So police agencies aren't required to disclose the race or ethnicity of people they interact with unless they're Indigenous. But an overwhelming number of stories from the Black community suggest that this is happening. 
To me, it looks like authority figures in society don't feel the need to track encounters with other minorities. The racism our country has shown against Indigenous people is well documented and recognized through things like the Truth and Reconciliation Commission, but we tend to ignore the issues other races face in Canada. Well, that's exactly what I've seen from reading these stories of Black people in Canada. The federal government signals that racism doesn't exist here or that we're past it, so it's incredibly difficult for Black people to share their stories without being told that they're wrong or blowing it out of proportion, or worse, being called a reverse racist. Okay, that's not a thing. Oh, (laughs) I'm well aware, but that doesn't stop people from claiming it. They point to things like a fact that the record number of visible minorities were elected to the House of Commons in the past election in 2015. So there are eight of them that are uh, from African descent, which is 2.4% of the total population. It's fairly good representation, but it was also a banner year for people of color being elected, and it's not consistent in every election cycle. So people can walk around thinking that anti-black racism doesn't exist in our communities by pointing to statistics, but ignore personal stories of racist encounters. Exactly. And just this month, the Huffington Post article covered the hashtag Black in Toronto campaign, which encourages people to come forward with their own stories of anti-black racism. It's that conflict between two narratives. One is from the authorities and the government, the kind that gives Toronto, one of the most racially diverse cities in Canada, the official motto of diversity is our strength and ignores any subsequent racism because society is taught to believe that we're past that from the signals and statistics we've gotten from the government. The other narrative is from individuals who experience anti-black racism. And this ties into the collection of stories I showed you, uh, T-Doc Griots. It's an anthology of stories from black writers' experiences and paints what I would say is an accurate picture of being black in Canada. From what I've read of it, the stories within this collection provide insight into first-hand accounts of encounters with racism and prejudice. So I wanted to focus on J.L. Ely's excerpt from her play My Upside Down Blackface, Dirty Laundry. It's about a black woman's interactions with a white woman at a laundromat in Toronto, and it's a discussion of individual experiences of of contemporary racism. And that excerpt is actually particularly telling of the small ways that black people experience harassment because of their identity. Other stories in T-Doc Griots deal with the realities of being stereotyped and the search for identity within the poorly defined and honestly predominantly white idea of what Canadian identity is. Okay, so I don't know about you, but I found the interaction in Dirty Laundry really cringeworthy. It was hard to read the interaction between Leela and Kathleen, especially when Kathleen was harassing her and making light of her identity. And that's where the major, the first major issue comes from, I think. Uh, many people might read this and think that Kathleen did nothing wrong. A hallmark of Canadian identity in the 21st century, after all, is being proud of not seeing race, which in turn can lead to racist issues. So that's a pretty broad generalization. Can you back it up? Well, I mean, of course I don't think every person uh, thinks this way. But evidence from these firsthand accounts would lead me to think that it is an issue and that's it's something we have to deal with. In Dirty Laundry, the two characters are arguing because the white woman wants to get dreadlocks. Kathleen says, what, are dreads supposed to be a black thing now? And Lila replies, yes, they are actually, but you don't care about that, do you? You just want to believe that you have the right to do anything. To which Kathleen says, it's a hairstyle, and I'm pretty sure there's no racial claim on it being either black or white, or anything else for that matter. 
So you're arguing that Kathleen, believing Canada is post-racial, thinks that there is no such thing as appropriation. Yeah. And further, that Kathleen isn't respecting the information given to her by Leela, an actual black person, about black culture. So that's a good tip for our listeners. If a black person is telling you about black culture, stop talking and listen, because their perception of their own race is always correct. Exactly. Uh, In her journal article, The Influence of Civil Rights and Black Power Movements in Canada, Agnes Callist outlines the history and the fight for equality from the 1960s to 1990s. She claims that the Canadian state sought to contain the movement for black equality through political appeasement, such as funding African-Canadian organizations and the appointment and commissions and RCMP surveillance of anyone suspected of being a black activist. So the government did help contribute to equality in a way. Yes, in a way, but they also only did it to quell the rising discontent. From this, I can't help but think that, you know, they used both the carrot and the stick approach, making certain concessions towards the fight for equal rights while still retaining the authority to enact swift punishment on those that were too radical. Can you define too radical? So they gave certain rights to black people with the expectation that the protests would stop. Anyone who continued to protest would be labeled radical, and all the public would see is a group that just secured rights continuing to push back further. Even though the black activists were only asking for equality, they were considered wrong for continuing to fight for full equality once smaller movements had been successful. Callist points out that those activists argued that racism in Canada is more subtle and insidious than in America, which would support this idea. Rather than ignore the problem like America did, Canada pretended to solve it and then targeted the remaining activists as dangerous and wanting disproportionate rights to white Canadians, and I can find no evidence that supports them actually wanting that. But if black people made up the minority at the time, the government would have been making accommodations for them that white people didn't receive? Yes, they only got those accommodations because they had already been so marginalized, though. Um, Anakshi Dua et al. write in their article, Race, Racism, and Empire, Reflections on Canada, that state policies of multiculturalism have represented Canada as a welcoming haven for immigrants and refugees, while in reality these policies work to create structures that kept new Canadians of colour in a marginalized social, political, cultural, and economic relationship in Canada. So, like... Even structurally, we're not being accommodating or accounting for different races, which is disproportionately affecting people of color. They had also said that some major cities like Toronto are steadily moving toward a majority-minority population, where there are less white people than non-white, yet the nation continues to be scripted as white. Oh, I, I definitely believe that. Take the example of carding. So it's the practice of stopping people on the street who have not committed an offense, taking their information down and putting it into some database. Uh, this summer, the Toronto Star did a lengthy piece on Dale James, this 33-year-old man from Toronto who claims to have been carded 43 times by Toronto police from April 2006 to November 2015. When you hear stories like that from black people across the country and compare it to me, a white guy who's been stopped by police officers exactly zero times in my life, anecdotal evidence starts to become concrete in the absence of statistics. So since carding affects black people more than anyone else, it serves as evidence that our rules are still shaped towards protecting white people and property. Yeah, exactly. But the Ontario government announced this spring new regulations that prohibit carding and unlawful stops of people by the police. 
So the Canadian press reported in CBC that as of January 1st, 2017, so just in a month, police must tell people they have a right not to talk with them, and refusing to cooperate or walking away cannot then be used as reasons to compel information. So while that policy technically affects everyone, the government noted that they heard from many people of color and Aboriginal men and women who said that the Human Rights Code was being ignored by police who stopped them for no apparent reason. In addition, an annual public report must be released each year, showing the demographics of people stopped by the police. So we'll finally have our first collection of statistics on race encounters with the police to help paint a better picture for the future. So this could even be compared back to J.L. Ely's play, when Kathleen comments on Leela's hair and then reaches out and grabs it, without asking. Black bodies aren't given the same respect or consent as white bodies, but this doesn't get marked down anywhere. Right, and immediately after, Leela pretends to make a phone call uh, instead of telling her to stop or reporting harassment to the police. Even systemically, she's been taught that nothing will come of it, and it's something that black women just have to endure in our society. Anthony Morgan actually wrote a fantastic piece on the suffocating experience of being black in Canada for the Toronto Star last year, and even includes the all-too-familiar conversation, but this is Canada. It's Americans that have a race problem, not us. These attention-seeking black radical activists complaining about anti-black racism or whatever are being aided by the left-leaning media to complain about American problems that we simply don't have here. It's like the average member of the public reflexively pushes back whenever a black person tells their story of experiencing racism, that because there aren't riots in the street like in Ferguson, they can't possibly be experiencing what they say they are here. Well, and Vicky Machama, host of the Canada Land Commons podcast, also says the same thing in an episode this summer. Um, So she says, activists like Black Lives Matter in Canada are often told, it's not that bad here. This is Canada. It isn't Ferguson or Baton Rouge or Chicago. But maybe that's not enough, a good enough standard to go by. Setting the bar low just so you can walk over it isn't good enough. So without statistics present, anthologies like T-Dot, Griots may be the best way to tell these stories. We've already established that personal anecdotes should be treated as evidence, even when written as art. But what can non-Black people do to understand this? So, at least speaking personally, being white, I've learned on these issues, just listen and trust these stories. Um, a poem by Cheryl Nika Hazel in T. Dockriots, the name of which uh, for the poem we can't say on air, uh, it talks about being distanced from culture and history living in Canada, that she isn't welcome here as a full member of our society, but she's also not welcome in her home country as a result of diaspora. And it's something I've actually heard from a lot of people living in an unfamiliar culture. So the least that non-Black people in Canada could do is understand the internal clash of culture And let these stories stand as evidence, because Canadian culture shouldn't be unfamiliar to black people who grew up here just because they're black. Especially when you have people thinking that coming to Canada will be as accepting as a cultural mosaic we claim to be. City Lab had an article in March this year about the long history of African Americans escaping to Canada. It goes through the country's history where during the Revolutionary War, British lords were enticing enslaved Africans to join them in Canada. Apparently, they did this not because they thought black lives mattered, but because they needed them for labor. So it was more of a tolerate but don't celebrate deal because black people were a necessity for our industrial advancement. Yeah, exactly. And that essentially molded Canada to be what it is now, with the illusion that we've always been a racism-free zone. 
Is that really the public perception today, though? Like, I know as a country, we don't like to talk about racism, and our government uses methods we've already talked about to silence those cries of oppression. But you'd think with all the Black Lives Matter movements popping up that people would listen, just like they should listen to these stories from T-Doc Riots. You would think... But no. Even in Dirty Laundry, Ely tells what appears to be a fairly routine story for black people about being told by white folks that they, the white folks, don't see race. When Leela and Kathleen are getting more heated as the scene nears its close, Leela says, Just so you know, marrying a black guy does not make you a hero. It doesn't give you the license to adopt his culture and his history as your own. It doesn't make you some ultra-liberal, open-minded, white wonder poster child. To which Kathleen responds, You disgust me, you and your racist attitude. There's quite a bit to unpack here. Yeah, she continues by saying that her husband and daughter are treated the same by her as anyone else would be. She says she sees everyone the same. And Leela concludes the scene by asking if that's supposed to be a compliment. Well, I mean, she's completely correct. White people shouldn't be applauded for just treating everybody equally. I think what Kathleen means is that she doesn't see color, which completely negates the idea that racism exists. Logically, if race is irrelevant, then racism shouldn't happen. But from their stories, black people in Canada are much more likely to be pulled over by police or questioned and searched or denied job opportunities. So there's clearly a racism problem in Canada. And people like uh, Kathleen deflect it by saying that they aren't the issue. It's the exact same thing as those RCMP officers from earlier. They... They hear a general claim of racism levied against society in a group by a person of color, and they immediately jump up and swear that they aren't the racist themselves. No one called you racist. They just said there is systemic racism. Right? And Kathleen turns it back on Leela and calls her racist. To people like Kathleen, racism simply means the public recognition that there are different races, which is ridiculous, and it harms the fight for equality. A recent poll showed that 81% of British Columbians of Chinese and South Asian descent report that they've experienced some type of discrimination as a result of their ethnicity. This is yet another reason why we need those formal police statistics to be collected like they're going to start doing in Ontario. So where do we go from here? We have some people in the public who just do not believe anti-black racism exists in Canada anymore. And we have a black population that would disagree. There are a few concrete statistics available, so anecdotes like the ones portrayed in T.Dot Griot stand in their place as accounts from people who have experienced racism. That Huffington Post article quoted Debbie Douglas, the executive director of the Ontario Council of Agencies Serving serving Immigrants, as saying, Anti-black racism is persistent. It builds up in small ways. Ways like black people being denied services or getting poor service at at businesses or being ID'd more than non-black people or in hiring practices. So all these lived experiences would point to anti-black racism as still being an issue, but we don't have statistics to back it up. So how do people get behind stopping this? I think, again, it just comes down to listening, you know, listening to the stories that black people tell about their struggles in Canadian society and challenging those baseless claims that Canada isn't a racist country from our government and our leaders. This is about their lived experiences. 
And it's about making room to hear Black experiences in Canada, valuing them and believing them. Like Morgan's piece in the Toronto Star, when he says that being Black in Canada can sometimes be suffocating because of the result of carrying the exhausting burden of having to convince others of the truth of your lived experience. Non-Black people should just listen. And also, ask how they can help. The first step is reading these experiences, and the next is knowing how to change for them. Like J.L. Ely's play taught me not to assume that black people will answer all my questions about black hair care and that I should absolutely never touch anyone without permission, even if it's meant as a compliment. And Nika Hazel's poetry taught me to value black people's voices as individual and not representative of their race. So earlier this year, my friend Bashir Mohammed was on this program talking about his experiences with anti-black racism in Edmonton. Uh, this quote from his interview sums up our conversation, and I think it's a good way to end today. So on the program, he said, uh, there are supporters who said, I can't believe this happened in 2016. And for whatever reason, that always kind of irked me, even though it was from supporters, just because I was surprised that there was this assumption that even though it's 2016, we've ended up in this post-racial Canada, which for a lot of people of color, we know that's not true. But for other people, they think it is true. 